the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and it's a delight to welcome back one of my favorite people in public policy and writing, and that's John Hinderocker, one of the co-editors and co-publishers of the Powerline blog. Someone today emailed me, says, uh, Seth, I read this, that, and the other. What, what else should I read to stay smart? I said, Powerline, Powerline blog, and read it more than once a day, and you'll be smart. John Hinderocker, how are you, sir? Hi, Seth. Doing well. Thank you. Um, you wrote a, a, a post today I wanted to follow up with you on, on how to strike back against big tech censorship. Big tech censorship, John, is rapidly becoming, to use a Lincolnian phrase, the theology of the day. I thought maybe they would just, you know, from a sense of maybe not pushing it too far, maybe a little bit of a sense of shame, maybe a little bit sense of propriety. I thought maybe they'd ease off on the gas pedal a little bit. They're not. I just was reading, I don't know if you saw Senator Johnson's piece in the Wall Street Journal today about YouTube taking down a Senate hearing uh, on uh, on the uses of, uh, of, a, of a possible COVID treatment called ivermectin. Uh, they're not easing it up at all. And as you, uh, I think, rightfully have pointed out here, the action is going to have to be here at the state level. And Minnesota may, be, um, may be help leading the way on a draft bill that uh that provi- that prevents uh internet service providers from discrimination based on race sex religion or political orientation we have we republicans have over 60% of the state legislatures this is what we got to do yeah Yes. Uh, I mean, in the first place, you're absolutely right, Seth. These people have doubled down. They're hard leftists. They think they're ascendant. They Mm -hmm. see nothing standing in their way. They see the the victory of Joe Biden in the last election as uh, as ratifying their their views. And, And they also see the Democrats as the ones who who will preserve them uh, from antitrust enforcement, right. for example. Right. There, there's an unholy alliance now between big tech and the Democratic Party. So the question is what to do about it. And and as you said, Seth, you know, a lot of people have talked about Section 230, the Communications Decency Act, and amending it, and, and, and have talked about... I think I'm over that, by the way. We can come back to that. Or you can say what I'm interrupting you. Go ahead. Yeah, well, and, and, and people have talked about antitrust enforcement yeah. and what kinds of antitrust action might uh, might be effective. But I think that speculation is... is um, Futile, mm-hmm. at least for the time being. Mm-hmm. The Democrats like what's going on; they don't want to change it. Right. And there's no way that any such measures are going to get through the current Congress. Nor is there any way that that uh, the Joe Biden uh, Justice Department is going to pursue antitrust action. So, so the the only way that we conservatives can strike back and try to preserve our freedom of speech is through action at the state level. And as you say, something like thirty state legislatures are controlled by Republicans. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's right. And if this is couched in uh, in in the um, in the non-discriminatory freedom of speech uh, range of of legislation, uh, states would typically, I would think, 
uh, be able to grant uh, these kinds of uh, these kinds of laws freedoms. Uh, I'm not worried, as you say, about uh, preemption here. I don't think we have enough of it to, to, to have federal preemption over these state efforts. And I don't know um, what else one might one might do short of, you know, trying to pass federal legislation, which, as you point out, is in no one's interest who's in charge of the federal government right now. Yeah, so so right now, um, people are working on legislation in a number of states, including Minnesota, which is where I live, and I've been involved in in drafting a, a bill that's going to be introduced here in the next couple of days in our legislature. And people are, are trying different approaches. We saw Ron DeSantis, who's a great guy, great governor, giving a press conference yesterday. They're still working on their bill down in Florida. And uh, he kind of gave a preview of it. It sounds like they're following you know, some, some different approaches. I've seen bills that have been introduced in places like Mississippi and North Dakota that I think have got some rather serious flaws. I know that I've heard that there's a bill in Arizona, Seth, although I haven't seen it yet. And I know that uh, my friends in South Dakota are working on something which they're going to unveil any day now. So, and I know, and I've been talking to people in other states as right. well. And, and so, and so, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot going on here. I, I I think it's great if different states try different approaches because you can't always foresee what's going to work best. Right. Uh, but I do think that the approach that we've followed here in Minnesota is a good one, and I've encouraged people in other states to do something similar because as you said Seth what we have done is to couch our statute not in terms of censorship right. but in terms of anti-discrimination right, right. what it does Which states is have it, traditionally been more lean, uh, more more have been given more wide berth than the federal government to do right yeah i mean you know when you start talking and of course the the ultimate objective is to stop the censorship right, obviously right, right. but but you know when you when you couch it in terms of censorship you immediately run into the fact that we've all been beaten over the head with for the last year which is that private companies right. can censor right. and and there's certainly a support for that in the communications decency act so so I, I really think that the best way to do it and what we've done in our in our bill in minnesota is to prohibit uh discrimination by social media companies, there's a, there's a technical def, uh, definition, but that's basically what we're talking about, to, to, to uh, restrict a user's account uh, or a user's content based on race, sex, political ideology, or religious beliefs. Right. I, I have very little doubt that that will withstand whatever federal preemption argument the, the tech companies would want to throw up. They certainly will try that. I can't see it going anywhere. Uh, because it just it's not inconsistent with anything in the Communications Decency Act. We can talk about that in detail if you want to, but that's the bottom line. And what and what the Minnesota law does and other statutes do something very similar is to provide for statutory damages because actual damages are very, very hard to prove. Like right. I lost my Twitter account. I had fourteen thousand followers. You know, I wasn't huge on Twitter, didn't spend a lot of time on it. But what are my damages? You know, I don't really have any damages. So Statutory damages under this this law would be fifty thousand dollars per violation, and there's a provision for recovery of attorneys' fees, so that it's worthwhile for lawyers to actually bring these cases. Yep. So that's a, a real thumbnail sketch of, of of the statute and the concept. And I hope that a number of states around the country will enact this kind of legislation. I, I don't know what we will do if they don't. Um, and I wonder where you are on the theoretical. 
I guess I guess the the answer is in this statute, but the theoretical debate about I guess I first noticed it. I first was paying attention to it. I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the work of Will Cha- Will Chamberlain over at Human Events and talking. No. Well, he was talking about expanding the First Amendment into social media, much like the Civil Rights Act expanded. You know, took away certain freedoms of um, of dis- of uh, the ability to discriminate in private enterprise. He said it's, it's it wouldn't be the first time we've. We've we've you know limited the 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 liability of of private organizations. We did it with the Civil Rights Act, and the First Amendment certainly must be as important as civil rights. And when you consider that things like Facebook and Twitter are are now effectively the main means of communication in America, certainly political communication, it wouldn't be outlandish to start thinking that we might have to draft legislation to apply the First Amendment to them. And it's a, it's a theoretically interesting thing. It's not going to happen at the federal level anytime soon. Well, no, that's right. I mean, if you were literally to apply the First Amendment, it would take a constitutional yeah, amendment. Yeah, sure, you know? so, sure. So that's not happening anytime no. soon. And, and, and anything done along those lines has to be done with great care and attention to detail. Right. And, and as I've you know, worked over you know, what exactly to try to put on paper to, to achieve the goal, there's a lot of issues that you have to work through. And, and so, and so you know, the, the, the fundamental point, though, is correct, and that is that we've got the, these tech oligopolies that control the most important means of communication in contemporary life. And it's very much as if in the 19th century, somebody had brought up all the printing presses and said, we're only going to allow printing presses to print uh, literature that favors Democratic Party candidates. Right. Right. Did you ever think when you started Powerline Blog that you would be part of this world that is now effectively i mean you're not you're not social media in a certain sense but you're 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 in a venn diagram that 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 partakes of social media did you ever think that this would be the central means of communication political communication oh boy that's hard i I, at some point i did at some point i'm not sure exactly when that happened but at some point it was obvious that the internet was running circles around the you know, the legacy media, Maybe and then the legacy media down. migrated onto the Internet. Maybe and one thing that down. happened, Seth, that's unfortunate in my opinion, is that most conservatives abandoned what I would call the free Internet, which is what Powerline is on, in favor of the social media outlets like Facebook and Twitter, because it was easy on those outlets to get a little bit of a following. Yeah. All right. John, I've got to hit a break. Are you able to stay a little bit longer? Sure. Absolutely. Oh, lo- lovely. Lovely. Wonderful. I will talk to you uh, more in just a few moments. John Hinderocker from the Powerline blog is our guest. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Delighted to have with us John Hinderocker. He is the um, co-publisher and co-editor at the Powerline blog. Powerlineblog.com is the website. I Highly recommend if you don't check it out on a daily or more than daily basis, please do so. You will be smarter for it. John, um, thank you for your thoughts on on how the states can strike back against big tech censorship. Um, t- talk uh, with me a little more generally. In the last hour, I was taking some calls from some listeners. I wanted to throw this by you if I could, um, who are feeling very, um, very defeated and uh, very resigned some of them saying things like, uh, what's the use? Uh, basically, um, we're doomed, and there's not much we can do about it, that the big state and big tech and deep state and big tech 
and uh, certain levels of fraud um, have so conspired that there's there's just literally nothing more to be done. And uh, I have I have been counseling uh, that all the more reason to never give up and to re-energize, and that there are there are avenues, um, in fact, uh, major arteries for us to exploit. But I wonder what your thoughts are on that. Certainly, you've heard that kind of that kind of thought as well. You know, Seth, honestly, I think it's pathetic. Who was it who said that you described the future as a boot in the face forever? Mm. Well, well, the truth is that describes the past of the human race. I mean, the human, the, our history, the human history is a history of oppression. And, 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 and nevertheless, for thousands of years, people have fought for freedom, almost always against overwhelming odds and almost always losing. And nevertheless, despite being crushed, you know, people have over and over again fought for freedom. In over hundreds and even thousands of years, we, we've achieved freedom. And, and today in America, we are the most privileged people in the history of the world. Never has there been a group of people as free as we are today. And the idea that our, our forefathers didn't give up. They didn't say, oh, this is hopeless, let's not fight. I mean, good grief. The idea that we would, would give up the fight for freedom, give up the fight for our families and for our posterity, because uh, we lost an election, you know, I mean, it's ridiculous. One of the things I've been saying is, uh, John, along those lines is, if you look up around the expanse of the Republican Party today, it has a better bench than it's really perhaps ever had. Um, you know, we, Ray, Reagan was anomalous in the Republican Party. Goldwater was anomalous in the Republican Party. I suppose it would be fair to say Donald Trump was anomalous in the Republican Party. But Reagan didn't have people like uh, Tom Cotton and Ted Cruz. He didn't have people like uh, – Or Ron DeSantis. And I was just going to do the governors, Christy Noem and Ron DeSantis. He didn't have Jim Jordans and Andy Biggses. Uh, and we could go on and on and on, not to mention a commentariat that spans, you know, everywhere from you to Candace Owens to Larry Elder. I mean, we haven't had a bench like this in a really long time, and we're just scratching the surface with some of these names. Josh Hawley, I could throw in. I mean, we could go on and on. You know, I, I'm old enough, Seth, that I've lived through a couple of cycles of people saying that one political party or the other will never again win a presidential election. Sure. After Goldwater got slaughtered in 1964, a lot of commentators were saying, we'll never again right. see a Republican president. Right. Well, what happened, not only did we see a Republican president, we saw what in the very next cycle right. in 1968. Right. Right. In 1988, after George H.W. Bush completed the third landslide for a Republican presidential candidate in a row, a lot of people were saying, they'll never again be elected a Democratic president. Well, guess what? In the very next cycle, 1992, the Democrats won. Yeah. These things change fast, and you're absolutely right. We've got. I'm excited uh, as a Republican about the candidates that we potentially can have in in 2022 and and on for the presidency in, in 2024. I say, bring it on. I mean, yeah, I know. Love... I think it feels a little bit like uh, a little bit like 1992 and what came next. Giuliani wins New York. Gingrich takes back the Congress. You, I don't know what the Giuliani comparison may be, but it might be Newsom. I mean, there is going to be a recall in California. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if we will field well, someone who can beat him, but there will out, be a right? recall effort. Yeah, didn't Gray Davis actually get kicked yeah. out of the yeah. recall? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Gavin Newsom, he may, he may follow in those footsteps. 
you know, these things change. I would love all the names you just mentioned. I'd love to run any of those folks against Joe Biden if he's still with us, yep. or failing that Kamala yep. Harris in in 2024. I like our chances just fine. Uh, I, I have been thinking like a DeSantis uh, Noam ticket would be something I would love to see. Um, everyone will have their you know their favorites or, or their takes on it, <clears throat> but it is true um, about the Republican Party. I think that. You know, the 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 fighters who represented conservatism, Goldwater, Reagan, Trump, they they were they were not the mainstay of the Republican Party and they didn't have a lot of allies. They just didn't. Uh, Reagan brought some with him. Right. There was some of that, but not enough, not a lot. And, you know, it yielded to, of course, uh, George H.W., which yeah, well, Reagan, wasn't... I think, much more inspired young people. Yes. You know, I think yes. I think a generation later, yeah. uh, you know, all those conservatives that came along would yeah. say, yeah, we're the, we're the heirs of, of Reagan. Right. But you're right in the immediate aftermath. Right. Um, you know, he was really a trailblazer. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And um, so, you know, when you've got a bench like this, I think it would be a tragedy of the commons to waste it. Well, I don't know. I, 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 I don't understand that kind of talk. I've heard it too, Seth. I mean, when I think about how hard our ancestors fought to be free, and, and, this, and then I hear people now talk, talk about giving up. Right. I mean, I, I just can't even process that. Well, I, I, you know, you make a great point that hadn't even occurred to me until you were, you were going through that history. But you look at what people, for example, in Hong Kong do, you know? They raise our flag. Sure. They sing our national anthem. We, you know, while the NBA is telling us here we shouldn't do that, they're doing it there, and all the all the more reason, John. Uh, it's a great point you're making, and um, and I appreciate it very, very much. Uh, how's Minnesota looking? Is Minnesota uh, because I, the reason I ask that with your governor, with this president that we have. The reason I ask it is, is I do think these they, they tend to overreach. And when you and I describe what the Democrats stand for theoretically, and then they win an election, people will then believe us when they see it in actuality. Well, the Democrats, uh, in my state, Minnesota, are overreaching as they are nationally. I think we might be the only state with a split legislature. We've got a Democratic House, a Republican Senate, a Democratic governor. And, you know, that's a recipe for, for not a lot getting passed, which is fine with me. Yeah. Uh, but but it's, it's interesting because I think I think we may be the only state uh, that, that currently has a split legislature. Is that right? Yeah. OK, good. Well, John, listen, thanks for all you do. Thanks for all you write. Thanks for your continuing contributions to this show. You're a dear friend and we need to hang together. Hey, thank you, Seth. All right. John. Have a good night. Be good. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Your show here on out. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. If you want to keep your health up, your energy high, and your immunity boosted, you want balance of nature. I take it every single day. It is the most effective whole foods, fruits, and vegetable supplement on the market. No sugar, no GMOs, no chemicals, all natural, vine-ripened fruits and veggies picked at the peak of ripeness, of course, tested for all kinds of impurities, and you get in one daily dose tens of thousands of vital nutrients. You get 10 servings of fruits and vegetables. 
in one daily dose. I take it every single day. They have a great special right now, offering free free shipping and 35% off any new order of their fruits and veggies and uh, any new preferred order of their fruits and veggies. Those preferred orders are great because it guarantees wholesale pricing for uh, as long as you um, – as long as you are with Balance of Nature. Give them a call at 800-246-8751 or check them out at balanceofnature.com. That's balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Fabulous product, a uh, product I have loved taking and endorsing more than any other I have ever taken or endorsed. You, uh, you, you, uh, you will remember how many stories there were and how much chatter there was about Donald Trump's lies throughout his presidency. David Horowitz, I, this is actually, speaking of Powerline, this is actually encapsulated at Powerline, written over at Powerline. Uh, David Horowitz says that um, not, none, none of what they alleged against Donald Trump could, um, could beat the lies that Joe Biden has gotten away with. Uh, Biden's opening salvo in the presidential debate, the one thing he wanted voters to remember and take to heart, the one thing he wanted voters to take to heart was a monstrous lie. And that is that the president didn't have a plan to stop the virus and that he did. Biden had no plan that would affect the course of the pandemic. And he just told us so a week ago. He conceded this after the election when one of his first announcements was there is nothing we can do to change the trajectory of the pandemic in the next several months. No apologies to Trump. No apologies to the people he deceived into voting for him. No apologies at all. Actually, Biden's accusation that Trump did nothing to fight the epidemic was multiple monstrous lies in one. From the outset and throughout the pandemic, Trump did not control a single health care policy that would affect infection rates in the 50 states. We're governed by the federal system in which those policies, whether it was mask mandates or business shutdowns or who gets put into nursing homes, were all formulated and executed by the respective governors of those states. What did Trump do? He supplied those governors, Republican and Democrat equally, with record numbers of whatever they asked for, ventilators, masks, swabs, testing kits, and, of course, um, produced two vaccines in record time. Again, no apologies, let alone thank yous from President Biden. Now, while that may have been a low for dirty political tricks, Biden saying that Donald Trump was responsible for hundreds of thousands of deaths, it probably was not the worst transgression committed by Biden in terms of its impact on the nation's crisis. The deepening political division between the two parties and the alarming progress toward a First Amendment-free one-party state is what the Democrats are now talking about vis-a-vis domestic terrorism. That is a central theme and the biggest lie of the Biden campaign and now the assurances that Joe Biden is a moderate whose mission is to heal and unify the nation. How is he doing it? Using the first week of his presidency to issue 40 executive orders, all of them 
radically left whose only unifying theme was that they were each designed to remove policies of Donald Trump because it was a policy of Donald Trump, whether the policy was beneficial or not, taking no account whatsoever whatsoever of whether it was an efficacious or effective policy or not. I want to say a little bit more about this when we come back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Look who's here, our friend Rob. Hi, Rob. Oh, hi, Seth. I, I actually I had a great talk with Bill. I about, could tell uh, <laughs> about Getty and. Uh, we call it the Alex. ancillary show. It's when people call <laughs> in, and you know, theoretically, they're calling into the Seth Leapson Show, but they well, yeah. go on and on with these. And fractious <laughs> conversations with my producer, Bill. I know, but he's a great producer, and he's got a great mind, and I think we need to give him more kudos and credits. Anyway, um, I, I had thought about, and yesterday, um, I'd been listening all week, obviously, uh, because I'm still stalking you, but um, <laughs> I, uh, I forgot the name of the Harry Jappa book that you listed, but I think it's The Birth of the Nation. No, uh, it's not The Birth of the Nation. That's, okay, the <laughs> That's the opposite. That's the opposite. That's the KKK film that Woodrow right, Wilson no, showed at the White House. <laughs> no, it's a new birth of freedom. A new right? birth of freedom, exactly. Okay, good. Exactly. Okay, good. Yeah, because that was the book that I didn't know about that I have to order now. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm and, teasing with you. No, birth of a yeah, Do people no, know that? Fine. Do people know that the great progressive Democrat hero Woodrow Wilson showed a KKK film at the White House? He did, and was it that, was called Birth was of a the, Nation. Speaking of Birth of a Nation, right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what it was called. Well, people probably know, but they're not really paying much attention. I don't also, think they know. I don't think they know. No, I, I think you're right. Also, I, I did have to ask, because I was thinking about this um, after yesterday. That book but... will rock your world, by the way, Rob, A New Birth oh, of Freedom. It'll rock your world. You tell oh, me good. if there's any book I've ever recommended that moves you more than that one. Hmm. Well, you know what old Abe did? Um, yeah, well, you tell me if this doesn't this, – when we're done, you tell me – well, I mean, you can't say it now. It's like indicting Donald right. Trump for a, right. uh, a, a riot that uh, was planned before he spoke. So <laughs> you tell oh, me no, after, you right. it, after you yeah, read it. After you read it. No, I'll, okay. I'll do that. And, okay. And thank All right. You. Also, um, F-35s fly back uh, to Luke Air Force Base, and that's the noise you're hearing. Um, I was thinking about – you know, back in the late 40s and when Bill Buckley wrote God and Man at Yale, um, you know, the birth of the conservative movement or ideology took place. And it had to do, obviously, in Bill Buckley's case with God uh, or the lack of it um, in at Yale. And then, you know, conservatism sort of evolved. And then we had... Uh, Barry Goldwater and all that, and I and now we're up to today, and I just wonder um, the evolution of conservatism, and we still have a problem trying to identify, you know, what conservatism is for the other side, who believe that you know we're all Nazis and fascists and all this kind of crap, which is totally untrue. But um, it's interesting to think about um, how. 
conservatism evolved for, what, 60 years now or 70 years now? Um, and what has changed? What is the same? Um, and I just think that's worth discussing. Yeah, it is. And maybe I'll do it tomorrow in my monologue because there's been a few calls on this. And a friend of mine was talking to me yesterday when I was talking about these books, what I meant when I said Buckley was the godfather um, of conservatism. It is worth discussing. And maybe if there's not some important news story, and there probably won't be, uh, I'll yeah. put it into my monologue, that very point. But what's interesting is if you um, – there aren't any really of that generation left. Maybe Hadley Arcus, uh, formerly of Amherst, he's still around. But conservative professors, conservative academics, they will tell you – Hadley's probably 81 or 82. They will tell mm-hmm. you that, as Harry Jaffa would say, as any of them would say, that without – you know, without Bill Buckley, they wouldn't have had a career. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, he gave he gave conservatism an intellectual uh, cast and pitch, yeah. and showed that it wasn't just a reactionary movement. Um, and he gave it a place to publish, and yeah. not only a place to publish a National Review, but of course a television show in which to ventilate it uh, with firing yeah. line. And, no, I, I agree. And and he did it. Um, he did it uh, at, to a point where, how many? This is kind of an interesting little thing. Uh, how many? How many conservatives do you know of in the public uh, sphere uh, who you would want to um, emulate? And 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 I ask that because almost every conservative writer at one point or another below the age of 50 said they wanted to emulate William Buckley. And of course, you can't. You know, it's a one off. But 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 the idea that you had an ideal people wanted to emulate, um, you know, we we can love Milton Friedman, but no one said I want to write like Milton Friedman. (laughs) Right. You get the point. You get the point. Oh, yeah. 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 And I think, you know, again, there's probably some real conservatives in uh, some of the conservative websites like Town Hall or Red State or Federalist or uh, American Greatness. But I don't know that the word is getting out to the vast majority of people that need to hear it. Mm -hmm. And that's what concerns me the most. Yeah, me too. And I don't know if it ever did. I don't know if it ever did. Because yeah. um, that the, there's the difference between intellectual and philosophical conservatism and political conservatism. One hopefully right. feeds the other. Uh, but well, that's yeah. why Barry Goldwater was so important as an adjunct to William Buckley. One was philosophical conservatism, Buckley, and one yeah. was political, Goldwater. And, of course, that gave birth to Reagan. But I don't know if the message ever became encrusted, burnt in amber yeah. into this country. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a strong force yeah. that we're always and pushing because, uphill. Yeah, and because, that's right. And they've taken over every institution you can think of. But I think, again, uh, we're on the right side of history and we're on you the bet right we side are. of uh, you bet everything. You bet. Um, anyway, thanks. Uh, All right, brother. Thanks. Take care. You bet. John Hinderocker brought up the quote, uh, 
the boot stamping on a human face forever. It's from Orwell's 1984. Our neurologists are at work upon it now. There will be no loyalty except loyalty towards the party. There will be no love except the love of Big Brother. There will be no laughter except the laugh of triumph over a defeated enemy. There will be no art, no literature, no science. When we are omnipotent, we shall have no more need of science. There will be no distinction between beauty and ugliness. There will be no curiosity, no enjoyment the process of life. All competing pleasures will be destroyed, but always do not forget this. Always there will be the intoxication of power constantly increasing and constantly growing subtler. Always, at every moment, there will be the thrill of victory, the sensation of trampling on an enemy who is helpless. You want a picture of the future? Imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever and remember that it is forever the face will always be there to be stamped upon the heretic the enemy of society will always be there so that he can be defeated and humiliated over and over again boy you think about that you think about that quote i gave you my five favorite books i may have to add a sixth it may be 1984 it may be 1984 when you talk about memory holes, when you talk about rewriting histories, when you talk about forced confessions of political faith. How about that line? No more need of science. I mean, it's not exactly that. They just define the only science that you're allowed to have. Folks, thank you for today. Thank you for joining us. Until tomorrow, tomorrow God bless you and class dismissed.